0: Hi, welcome back to the Bench Press. I'm Jess Coleman here, as always, with my co host, Bobby Denault. Before we get started today, we just wanted to take a step back and share some personal thoughts on the tragedy that is still unfolding in Israel and the Gaza Strip. I, like everyone else, I think, have struggled with how to process my feelings about this as a Jew, as an American, as someone who was involved in advocacy around a two state solution starting all the way back in college. I'm just angry. I'm frustrated. I'm not optimistic. But I also know it's important to keep our eye on the real goal here, which is peace. That very basic idea that violence against any civilians, Israeli-Palestinians, is wrong. And so, yes, we should absolutely acknowledge that the occupation is categorically and morally wrong. And that the conditions created by the Netanyahu government absolutely made the prospect for violence more likely. It's what Israel's own military and security leaders said, not only in the months before this attack, but for literally decades leading up to it. And as, as we watch a humanitarian disaster now unfolding in Gaza, we should absolutely also recognize that this will not improve the long-term prospects for peace. There is no military solution to this crisis. That is a lesson we have learned over and over again, and we should not forget it now. That said, Explaining the latest violence in the context of the history of the crisis, the politics of the crisis, is entirely different than justifying it. The mass slaughter of innocent people is not resistance. Tying up children, shooting them in the head is not freedom fighting. And if you have trouble making that distinction, you are not a progressive, you are not a revolutionary you are just completely lost. You're probably spending way too much time on the freaking internet. And all you're doing is making it much more difficult to fight for the values that you claim to care so much about. Terrorism will not liberate the Palestinian people just as endless occupation and military might has not and will not make Israel safer. We can debate The difficult questions about how to achieve a political solution, all you want. I'm here for it. We should debate it. But asking for more of the same, more violence, more bigotry, more hate, regardless of which side you're on, is not going to make peace more likely. Something here has to change. And I think it's up to each of us now to look inward and ask whether the values that we're fighting for. Whether the contributions that we're making to the public sphere are moving us closer to peace or are just contributing to this unspeakably horrible and bloody cycle that we are stuck in.
1: Well said. I am at a loss for words for what to say and the right thing to say. And I think a lot of Americans and people probably everywhere feel a little bit of that at this moment. This topic and the topic of civil conflict, but especially longstanding historical civil conflicts, they're just really difficult to talk about. And I think there's a lot of people out there who honestly just don't know or understand it. And they haven't spent their lives following it and they don't read much about it. And then when something like this happens and it's in the news every day, and you start to see people making statements that are just outrageous and wrong and heartless, um, thoughtless, untruthful, uh, over and over, um, it's really disheartening. You don't know what to say or do. You almost just want to not say anything because the safer thing to do is just back off, say nothing, stay out of it. And I think that it's important people speak up and say that indiscriminate violence against innocent people is always wrong and that given the history we all learn about, It's incredibly important for people around the world to stand up for Jewish people when they are targeted with that kind of indiscriminate violence. And it's not hard to say that killing innocent people, innocent women, grandparents, children, infants, is just unconscionable, wrong, and not a strategy or a policy or a reaction or a resistance. It's just wrong. I, we don't, this isn't a foreign affairs podcast. We don't talk about foreign affairs here and it's not something we're experts (laughs) on. So we're not going to sit here and parse through the history of the Israel Palestinian conflict or what's going right or what's going wrong or how this is going to unfold. But we wanted to get on and acknowledge to people that the discourse that's happening across this country right now is. Horrible and toxic and pretty nasty in a time where we should be leading with empathy and thoughtfulness and kindness uh, because in the face of such horror, it's important for human beings just on like a an emotional fundamental level to remind each other what's good about humanity and not the worst of us and It feels like social media, especially Twitter. Or X, whatever you want to call it, is amplifying the worst of us, somewhat intentionally, um, and it, you can feel it on the feeds. It's it's Twitter's always been a bit strange at how things land in your feed, but over the time since it was purchased by Elon Musk, it has demonstrably gotten more controversial and sort of fiery. Now I feel like I'm just only seeing the most devastating and angering and false sometimes information to inflame me, to make me mad, to make me post something that is outrageous or wrong or irresponsible. And just, you know, we've been texting, you know, about this. We're both having the same reaction that that's what we're seeing. I'm sure some of you out there are seeing the exact same thing. And so we just wanted to get on and sort of be able to remind people to have a discourse that's better than that and not to just play into the tropes of being so reactionary and saying really irresponsible things and cruel things and untrue things about innocent people.
0: And that that's the thing that really in this round of violence threw me for a loop and made me feel just totally defeated and weird in a way that I never have before because, you know, we know there are hateful, bigoted people out there. There always have been and there always will be. But it's the it's the people that, you know, the people in the Democratic Socialists of America, people part of Black Lives Matter, you know, knuckleheads in, in college who, you know, I don't think are, you know, rabid anti-Semites or, or hateful people. I really don't. All of them. But like I was saying before, that these people are too online. I really think that we are, are the way that we have a discourse now through social media and like cable news it, it is so easy to just strip all the nuance, strip all the morality from it, and just fall into this sort of hateful echo chamber where you're saying things, you think it's progressive, you think you're, you know, in solidarity with the Palestinians, when really all you're doing is just justifying terrorism and hate. And it, it it's such a simple concept that somehow gets lost because we are stuck in these vortexes of outrage and hate all the time. Um, and it's, re- it's really a reminder that you got to step back, embrace the yeah. nuance, let it sort of wash over you, and don't just sit back and just delve into the outrage.
1: Yeah, because it's, it's, look, there's a reason so many people are doing it. There's something in our nature that is instinctive to indulge in that worst instinct of anger and destruction, retribution etc um i kept thinking of a couple things this week like the people saying disgusting things on the internet it reminded me it's like everybody was turning into the westboro baptist church that's how i felt <laughs> yeah like as as a gay person Trolls. for me it, they they they're the ultimate troll like they show up at the most devastating part of people's lives soldiers funerals with signs that say god hates fags and it's just was like it's so cutting like i mean it's just so disgusting and to see at least mentally i could always be like but that's just that kooky weird church and they Travel places from their weird hideout. It's wherever it is, and they they do this, and that's all they do. And they fight these fights in in courts, et cetera, about free speech, whatever. They're weirdos. This was like all the weirdos were getting all the attention, and they were being equally disgusting, like just absolutely disgusting statements in moments of people's worst fears being realized. Their ter- terror, like sheer terror. Taking advantage of that moment to make it about your politics and to justify something horrific is just, it's just so sad, like watching people writ large embody that Westboro Baptist logic. And then on the flip, I felt like the anger in response to this attack was like watching Daenerys on the back of a dragon deciding whether to burn down King's Landing. (laughs) And everybody's like, turn it into a parking lot. And you're like, okay, uh, hold on a second. Like that doesn't end well for her. Okay. It's not great when you just indiscriminately destroy cities. That's really doesn't, it's not good policy. It's illegal under the law of war. So to watch that reaction was equally like, not, not equally, actually, I'll be honest. I was much more horrified by the way people were trying to be defensive of terrorism Um." than I was at that reaction, because at least I can understand this stupid reaction of you know, retribution and being frustrated, et cetera, a little bit more in the immediate aftermath. But still, it's it's bad. I mean, these are not good human instincts that people are indulging in. And I think these apps are just making it worse. You see other people do it and you think you should do it because it's going to get clicks and it's going to get likes and you want to be out there making, you know, sometimes the best thing to do is to s- to stay silent to to resist that horrible temptation to make a dumb ill advised
0: violent statement and and you're talking about x and um you know there have been reports that Hamas actually deliberately targeted X and telegram to post these horrific videos hmm. um, because there is no content moderation um, yeah. and because they are these vortexes of of hate and outrage and engagement. Um, you know, and we've we've seen these tactics. I mean, we've seen, you know, the Russian government kind of, you know, whip up people's rage on social media in order to achieve political ends. Um, this is all, I mean, it's all connected, right? It's all part of a continuum. Um, and this this age of, you know, information and psychological warfare, we're not immune to it, you know, and it can consume us too. And this is sort of, The whole point is to sort of strip us of the nuance, strip us of our morality and turn us into these, you know, impulsive base instincts kind of people. Um, And I think we saw it this week in in the worst possible way. Yeah, it's it's
1: disheartening. But I think what what our job is like as two citizens making an effort to record something that hopefully maybe a couple hundred or more people listen to sometimes (laughs) is to remind people that actually like not everyone is having this conversation and other people are able to not say disgusting horrific things and and also it's okay to acknowledge like i I, i'm not an expert on this i don't know i don't know what the good answers are i don't know what is appropriate there it's it's an unfolding situation facts change people's minds are probably going to change about what was or is appropriate and smart to do right now i just it's okay to say i don't know it is okay to say nothing other than i support my my fellow citizens that are hurting like it's okay to not have a take here um and when we're also sucked into these ecosystems that are so like encouraging us to have takes all the time, it is, you forget sometimes that you, you don't need to, to put yourself on one side or another. You can just express solidarity with people who are hurting and
0: in pain. Let's get into the US angle a little bit more into our, our wheelhouse. Um, we don't have a house. and We don't uh, have
1: a house. We don't have a uh, house.
0: <laughs> i mean a week ago uh two weeks ago when mccarthy went down as speaker i mean i not not only would i say it i was doing it point and laugh um watching yeah it was down really fun and- it was really
1: funny until a war started
0: <laughs> and, and then now, it wasn't so funny and now and now here we are what's your what's your uh what's your take on on where we stand
1: It changes every hour, uh, as does the prognosis for what the heck is going on in the house. Um, You know, this morning and last night, I I just was on a tear. Like this, people are not understanding how historically irresponsible this is. These guys, this is, A, never happened. A, a, A party has never taken the legs out of its own speakership this way, ever. So this is a first. And think about this. This is a first. And the person really leading the charge on this being a historical first is Matt Gates. okay? So we're putting the reins of history in the hands of a guy who has a DUI and basically got his job because his dad's a millionaire politician from Florida, was involved in a sex trafficking investigation not 18 months ago, uh, and was asking for a pardon from the last president related to that investigation until it luckily died down for him somehow. Um, I think that, it's this party the republican party it it just doesn't exist anymore it's not a solid party there's basically two giant factions of it maybe even three of um mitt romney mccarthy type republicans and i'm i feel i'm doing a disservice to mitt romney who has shown a lot more backbone than those types of people but they tend to be just pro business They've gotten in bed willingly with the Trump people when it suit, suit, suits them, but they also have occasionally spoken up against the worst impulses of that group. Then there's the Freedom Caucus MAGA rabbits who aren't necessarily idiots. Um, they're not ready to, like, ice out Kevin McCarthy of his own speakership, but they are much more rabidly MAGA people than the Mitt Romney-Kevin McCarthy wing. And then you have the actual Trump cohort of, like, crazy people matt gates lauren bobert uh you know just total crazy town they'll do whatever to make sure that they're in the press all the time because that's the donald trump way and that's the donald trump rule and it, you know that's that's their goal is to please donald trump and get on the airwaves as much as they can these people have very little in common on policy at this point they just don't so they're really not a majority they're just lumping themselves together because they know that they'd lose the majority if they did not.
0: Yeah. So for those who don't know what's going on, um, just basic background, Matt Gates had a motion to vacate the Speaker chair uh, a couple weeks ago. It feels like a year ago at this point, my God. Um, <laughs> Kevin McCarthy does not get enough votes because a few hardliners, Republicans vote against him along with all the Democrats. Um, the Speaker chair is now vacant. There's no Speaker of the House. Therefore, the House cannot function. Um, the Republicans are currently about to hold a vote. They just nominated Steve Scalise to be the next Speaker of the House. We'll see if he won we'll He won 13
1: votes. more Republican votes than his competitor, Jim Jordan. So right. it's not like the Republicans are unified behind Scalise, and
0: a lot of them are saying they are not ready to vote for him to be Speaker. Right. And so here we are now, right? I was saying like a week ago. We're all sort of pointing our fingers and laughing at them. And well, now you're seeing the consequences of it because, you know, you have pretty much everyone out there saying, you know, we want to pass some sort of aid package for Israel during this current tragedy, query whether or not that's actually necessary or a good idea, but they can't, they can't. Right. And, you know, it's all fun and games when, you know, it's normal. Domestic policies that Republicans don't want anyway. So they'd probably prefer not to have a house. Um, But now we're in a situation where there's a crisis across the globe. And if our government wants to act, it literally can't. So, you know, this is the consequence of Republican rule. This is it. I mean, total chaos, dysfunction. You know, the crazy thing here is Steve Scalise is, is he that different from Kevin McCarthy? No, he's not. Pretty he's, much he's a lot more conservative. I mean, he he's yeah, definitely in, more in terms, conservative in terms of policy. I mean, these guys work together. They're both they were both in the Republican leadership. I mean, Kevin McCarthy was all in on impeachment, all that uh, of Biden, all that stuff. Steve right. Scalise is not some sort of like handout to that that, that that the far right apparently was looking for, right? But Matt Gates is out there saying, you know, I'm honored to ha- to vote for Steve Scalise as the next Speaker of the House. Long live yeah. Steve Scalise. And, and, and like you said, it, it just goes to show, this isn't a political party. This, this, is, this, this is, is theater. A,
1: this is fake.
0: It's, it's exactly. It's a, it's a platform to express rage. Yep. That is all it is. That's it. That, that's, uh, and Matt you know, Gates that's was how- just
1: nervous that he was about to start to get blamed for this entire debacle, which is why he right. quickly came out for Scalise. He endorsed Jim Jordan over the weekend. I mean, he doesn't yeah. care. And this was all the theatrics of proving that he could do this to Kevin McCarthy, number one. Number two, creating a – I mean, remember, it's been a five-year month. But we were about to have a government shutdown, mm-hmm. and that's why this started. They were couldn't pass a budget because the, the Gates wing of people came up with an insane idea that they want to pass basically 12 separate budget resolutions – over the course of the year, and people were like, no, that's just not coherent. Kevin McCarthy got a majority of Republicans to agree to a Senate resolution on a 45-day stretch where the government would stay funded as is. Democrats voted for the same thing because they're they're fine with it. And that is why Gates pulled this motion to vacate because Democrats supported the same thing that a majority of the Republicans in the House also supported. So now McCarthy got punished for bringing up a bill for vote that a majority of the House Republican caucus supported. And Gates says, well, any Democrats vote for it? Never mind. You don't even deserve to be speaker if you're going to vote for something like that. That is how, I mean, the, the rhetoric, it's treating Democrats like they're the enemy, honestly, like really, I mean, you can't ever have a bipartisan bill ever agreed to even by a majority of Republicans that that makes you entitled to lose your job.
0: Well, I mean, that's the natural consequence of uh, having no real policy goals or values. It's, they, yeah. They're just about dominance and beating Democrats. So sure, if you, if you join with them to achieve anything, uh, then that's bad Yeah, because we're not actually trying to achieve policy here. We're just trying to achieve. Chaos and domination of the opposition.
1: So, yeah. yeah. I mean, there's said. so many moving parts to this. Trump wanted a shutdown. Uh, you know, he, by his own admission, he thought it would maybe defund the DOJ and the DOJ might have to halt the prosecutions of him or something. I've I, I read competing theories on whether that actually would matter. Most of them say that's not how it works and they would go forward as planned. But I, mean, I don't know. Maybe maybe there's some courthouse funding that would get tied up and create issues. Who knows? Um, but Trump was pro-shutdown. I mean, Trump wanted the shutdown and was talking to Republicans and telling them to vote for a shutdown. And I fully believe Gates punished McCarthy for, on Trump's behalf. Like He didn't get his shutdown sure. that he wanted weirdly this is a private citizen somehow controlling the shutdown of the u.s government query whether that's obstruction of justice if you have intent to delay your own prosecutions um but it's just such a strange bizarre these guys do not think ahead at all it's just whatever's in the immediate interests of donald trump and the eight or nine people closest to him And that's how they thought here. And then suddenly this conflict emerges in the Middle East and we don't have a speaker. We're headed toward another shutdown because they only got 45 days of funding out of that agreed upon bill. So November, I think it's like November 15th or somewhere in the middle of November, we run out of money again and we're going to be right where we were before. This is crazy town (laughs) and it's crazy town every four weeks by design. This isn't just, oh my God! There's so many events happening all at once. These are choices that Republicans are regularly making to make the country insane. It really makes you think, doesn't it?
0: Yeah, you know it. It if there's there's no silver lining uh, in all this and the the crisis um, occurring across the globe, but it really does put things in perspective, right? It really puts things in perspective, and somehow throughout history, the political right has sort of benefited from this law and order stance of, you know, in, in, in a crisis, you really want us in charge, right? Like, yeah. you might agree with them on abortion and what whatnot. But if there's a real crisis, you want us in charge, we're the strong ones, right? Well, there's a crisis. Now, there is a crisis ongoing between Russia and Ukraine. And they Where are they? You know, where not only where are they, um, but <laughs> they've steamrolled our capability to do anything yeah. as a country, literally. I mean, they are literally have their heel on the neck of the U.S government right now. It, it, it's Go so out of control,
1: and the rhetoric that comes out of their mouths is just so self-serving and insane. when you are dealing with Republicans arguing against funding for Ukraine is fending off Mm -hmm. one of our biggest geopolitical adversaries russia from an invasion that they did not ask for or want and you are saying as a republican the party that is responsible for two wars in afghanistan and iraq in 2000 less than a decade ago two decades ago that Your response now is, we're done funding foreign wars. I heard that come out of more Republicans' mouths about this Ukraine issue. It is insane. Do you think we Mm -hmm. forget that you are responsible for the disastrous foreign wars of the 21st century? And this is not those. This is not us spending a trillion dollars in the Middle East on Iraq or Afghanistan. This is a, a geopolitical adversary, a superpower with nuclear capabilities invading our ally. It's a completely different equation. I, I, It's just so dumb and that the people saying it are the same people who were responsible for Iraq and Afghanistan and defending that for forever. It's just – it's like meant to drive you bananas. I, I don't <laughs> even know what to say anymore. I'm like – How you can get off standing there and saying, we're done funding foreign wars after you dragged us into two that were complete disasters. Uh,
0: Okay, great. Well, yeah, I mean, you can add it to the list of like, Republican hypocrisy. I mean, the list is just goes on forever. I mean, but, but can, can you really think of a starker example than funding for Ukraine is like the third rail, not a chance we're going to do that, Right. but let's write a blank check for Israel. You know, I mean, it's an interesting thing, and I
1: and I we we agreed before this podcast. We're not, I'm not getting into the merits on this issue of, <laughs> of the Israel issue, but just because I sure. I just don't feel prepared to talk about it, and I honestly don't even think right now we would be doing any service to the discourse by having a conversation about what our policy should be here. It's just I just don't. That's how I feel. But immediately when this started, my first thought was how. Uh, in the hell are Republicans going to say that this administration or that America under Biden is not doing enough for Israel, which they're saying every hour on the hour all the time that where is Biden on Israel? Meanwhile, the man is like getting completely praised all over Israel for everything he's doing. But okay. (laughs) How are they going to say that and say that we need to be doing more but then also say that we're done funding foreign conflicts and we shouldn't send anything to Ukraine it's it's really difficult to thread that needle i i'm assuming what we'll get is some claim that ukraine is corrupt and unworthy of our money and israel is not and totally worthy of our money and and our military I, you know i'm i'm sure they're going to find a way to to make this ridiculous argument but anyone else right you know yeah <laughs> it it's just it's so frustrating i mean it's like just you know there's no consistency there are no principles there's no nothing they just do whatever pops into their little heads with no thoughts of the consequences for anybody
0: yeah and if there's anything different though about this it's that this example of republican hypocrisy is as opposed to the other 10 million Is <laughs> that you know usually you got to be like really keyed in to understand like the nuances of policy and the sort of like absurd positions they're taking based on things they've said in the past Ukraine and Israel are two massive stories. Yeah. They are two issues where there is sort of unprecedented public support that you don't see for a lot of other issues. Right. So, you know, God willing, people will finally see that voting for Republicans, and, and, and it's not just voting for Donald Trump, voting for down-ballot Republicans creates this sort of crisis, this sort of okay. chaos, and- you know, if you're someone who doesn't want Russia running roughshod all over Europe or doesn't want uh, aid to Israel to be held up, then you better not be voting for the people who make that impossible.
1: Yeah. <laughs> it's that I simple. mean, the other thing is like, Conflict causes major disruption in the things that even people who are saying we need to be less involved, et cetera, are interested in. Like markets get hurt by conflict, supply chains get hurt by conflict. We, one consequence we've seen in Ukraine that people, I think scholars and people who know a lot about it, saw coming, but not everybody saw coming, was wheat issues. Like Ukraine is a huge exporter of wheat, and Mm. Russia really intentionally flooded areas. They broke dams intentionally to destroy a bunch of wheat. It's really caused a lot of issues. Gas pipelines. Russia has targeted gas pipelines as part of this conflict. And it's really been a problem for Europe. And we've had to step up in that vacuum. Other countries have had to step up in that vacuum. Like You can say that you want to spend less on foreign wars. Okay, question how much I believe that when you're saying turn Gaza into a parking lot. Okay, great. But I really think that you can't ignore that the world's markets are interconnected. You just can't. So if the question is, how does America stay tough and defend its interests in good markets, good jobs, a strong economy, a strong country, the answer cannot just be we leave everybody we've built long relationships with and have an intertwined economic interest with high and dry because we're just done paying for things like what no we get a lot of benefit out of these relationships number one and number two and this is like a little bit more nuanced and and a little bit harder maybe for people who don't follow these things like deeply to understand the the things going on in ukraine and the things happening around israel right now they're not disconnected okay like i'm not sitting here saying that there's an ironclad proof of involvement of greater powers in what happened in Israel in the last week or two weeks. But you can bet that regional actors all over the world are deeply intertwined in, in the uh, conflict affairs like this. And Hamas has been propped up by Iran, which has been defended and propped up by Russia for quite some time. And these are deep, long relationships that they have. It's You cannot ignore that context and the fact that Russia is also involved in Ukraine when you consider like both Israel and Ukraine are allies of ours. These things may not be a a perfect tie, but they are enmeshed in each other like everything in the world. And so... To sit and say, oh, I really want there to be aid going to Israel, but none for Ukraine because I don't like Ukraine. Well, it doesn't really make a lot of sense. It's all really enmeshed together. Um, You know, It doesn't make sense to support one ally on this kind of thing and not another.
0: And another reason that you shouldn't just drop in when there's a crisis to give your hot take, because these things happen within a very complex history and context. And geopolitics and it's right. never um, as simple as well let's just level gaza and right. we'll uproot hamas right you know right. Or, or it's it's not as simple as you know let's have some terrorist attack on israel and a two-state solution is going to happen right um, like, right this
1: isn't these aren't solutions i mean these aren't solutions and you can't just drop in you know after a week of videos on the internet and and start saying things that are like it's just, look, you can, but be prepared for the consequences of embarrassing yourself.
0: Yeah, and uh, and hi- history will judge you. I mean, history look at, will judge you. <laughs> look at all the people who you know supported the Iraq War, and the, the things that they said back then are still coming back to haunt them. But still, somehow, like you were saying before, probably my favorite hot takes coming out out of this, or like the comparisons to nine eleven. This is Israel's nine eleven, uh, and saying you know. No one said to the U.S. to de-escalate or have a ceasefire after 9/11. We shouldn't say it to Israel, and it's like, did did we forget the U.S. response to 9/11 is infamously horrible? And in something it like, is amazing. What are we doing? Yeah,
1: I mean, I keep I just kept coming back to this Game of Thrones idea where I'm like this didn't end well for her. Like you guys are all acting like this, like just burn it all down. And it's like, okay, but that we just all watched a show on TV where someone did exactly this and it doesn't Mm -hmm. go well for them. And everyone thought of her as crazy at the end. Like that's Mm -hmm. not the right way to approach any situation with anger and violence. Like I'm not, advocating a particular policy response here i'm just saying mo- monitor your words that are coming out of your mouth you sound like an 11 year old when you say turn something into a parking lot it just it just <laughs> betrays a lot of ignorance and it doesn't need to be said well, nobody yeah, needs to hear you say that
0: no one to bring it full circle back to when we were we we're talking about the influence of social media here and everything that tear it all down mentality that so many people have have come around to unfortunately like that is what all of these bad actors want us to think (laughs) it's their dream come true that is the whole point of this information psychological warfare i mean the the whole trump mentality was tear it all down politically yeah i mean you go back to like isis and al-qaeda their mentality was to just create utter warfare and chaos and a complete power vacuum throughout the middle east that they could exploit. Hamas wants everyone to believe that we should just tear everything down. That will only empower, you know, the leaders of Hamas off in cutter in their mansions. That's what they want us to believe. That is why they engage in this sort of warfare because they are trying whether it's politics, whether it's terrorism, bad actors are trying to convince you that nothing matters and that you are in a zero-sum fight for your life against your enemies. But that has never been how it's worked throughout history. No.
1: And it's not going to change now. There's way more of people like me and Jess and you, hopefully, if you're listening, who are having normal conversations that are not filled with violent rage and wish for people to be dying in missile explosions or terrorist shootings. Um, there are people out there who share your feelings that that what we're seeing in social media and on the news feels endlessly bad, and perhaps needlessly so. There are bad things out in the world. This week has been a horrific example of of that, but it is essential. You remind yourself of the good things when you are faced with a litany of bad things, because if you let yourself be governed by just the bad, you're going to be driven to bad decision-making yourself. And the world isn't actually this full of just bad takes and bad people and angry people and people saying horrifically insensitive comments in the wake of a terrorist attack. It's also full of people expressing solidarity and expressing heartfelt grief who are absolutely grief stricken with you alongside of you at the things you're seeing and they're horrified. And there's a certain feeling of helplessness that comes with that. But the, the, the thing we all need to do is step back and remind ourselves that there's more of us than we are seeing of the very frustrating worst of us on the internet.
0: Well, on that note, um, we will leave you and we wish you all the best sorting through this absolute mess. We hope to be with you again next time with uh, some happier topics, although I'm not sure we ever have really happy topics on this pod, but we look forward to seeing you next time. Thanks again for joining us.